Good morning and welcome to News from the Drug War Front. This is Jeff and Marion. Yes. I be Marion. Jeffrey be on the other side. Good morning, Marion. Good morning, darling. And it's wet out there, my dears, so don't go out unless you have to. Stay and have your coffee and... Except for the people, of course, who have to bring the presenters into the radio show. Thank you, Jack and Pate, for your ever-welcome assistance. News from the Drug War Front is brought to you by Karma. It is. Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation Advocacy and a happy NAIDOC week. Indeed. In fact, that's one of the um, big issues that we'd like to spend a bit of time on. Um, We have grown up. We talked about it last week. And we um, did talk about it last week. We may not have the appropriate music for it, but we can relate the music to the time between the 60s and now while everyone's been waiting, waiting, waiting for something to happen other than, we mustn't forget, the uh, land, the connection to land and the appropriate um, acknowledgement of elders and this year in particular because that's the theme of this year's NAIDOC week which is the um, acknowledgement of elders and the role that they have had to play Um, and since 2017 I beg your pardon um, when NAIDOC week uh, was it been going for a while. I'm not it sure. It has been going for much yeah. longer than that. The NAIDOC, the statement from the heart, which yeah. is the fundamental premise on which the voice was well, to be That was based, the consultation yeah? document that came from many, many consultation and forums. Yeah. That's right. And many people that and and it was an acknowledged there are many issues associated with the voice and whether you think the voice should be first, last or in the middle, doesn't matter. It needs to be there. Ever since they got rid of ATSIC, we have had no le- acknowledged, sorry, I don't mean to say legitimate, but no acknowledged way for First Nations people to have their point of view put to Parliament. Indeed. Uh, or to government, full stop, yes? Well, not Parliament itself, but to government. And not knowing what uh, Indigenous people want is not just a matter of not being able to listen to them all at once, but not being able to acknowledge that the, that the issues are coming from First Nations people, not from a vehicle that like a a car that's sent to a truck that's sent to a bus, meaning that we're getting it from First Nations people directly. Well, I think that's where the statement from Uluru's statement from the heart was the actual agreed form of words that they presented in a very generous spirit. In 2017 with, yes, and the generosity of that spirit is really also has to be acknowledged, I think, and the willingness to... To acknowledge that, yes, we as as a white bunch, if you like, were prepared to apologise and, and did apologise eventually, despite the fact that that was an argument in itself. But, look, I would like to... Do you to, want to read the... I would like to read the statement for those who haven't yes, actually please. read it, which I would say would be a lot of people. And all who haven't heard it. We read it at the very... just after it came out, but, again... In celebration of NAIDOC Week, the text of the statement from the heart 
is as follows. We, gathered at the 2017 National Constitutional Convention, coming from all points of the southern sky, make this statement from the heart. Our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes were the first sovereign nations of the Australian continent and its adjacent islands and possessed it under our own laws and customs. This our ancestors did according to the reckoning of our culture from the creation, according to the common law from the time immemorial and according to science more than 60,000 years ago. This sovereignty is a spiritual notion, the ancestral tie between the land or Mother Nature and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who were born therefrom remain attached thereto and must one day return thither to be united with our ancestors. This link is the basis of the ownership of the soil, or better, of sovereignty. It has never been ceded or extinguished and coexists with the sovereignty of the Crown. How could it be otherwise? That peoples possessed a land for 60 millennia and this sacred link disappears from world history in merely the last 200 years with substantive constitutional change and structural reform, we believe this ancient sovereignty can shine through as a fuller expression of Australia's nationhood. Proportionally, we are the most incarcerated people on the planet. We are not an innately criminal people. Our children are aliened from their families at unprecedented rates. This cannot be because we have no love for them and our youth languish in detention in obscene numbers. This should be our hope for the, they should be our hope for the future. These dimensions of our crisis tell plainly the structural notion of our problem. This is the torment of our powerlessness. We seek constitutional reforms to empower our people and take a rightful place in our own country. When we have power over our destiny, our children will flourish. They will walk in two worlds and their culture will be a gift to their country. We call for the establishment of a First Nations voice enshrined in the Constitution Makarata is the culmination of our agenda, the coming together after a struggle. It captures our aspirations for a fair and truthful relationship with the people of Australia and a better future for our children based on justice and self-determination. We seek a Makarata Commission to supervise a process of agreement-making between governments and First Nations and truth-telling about our history. In 1967, we were counted. In 2017, we seek to be heard. We leave base camp and start our trek across this vast country. We invite you to walk with us in a movement of the Australian people for a better future. I think that is a very um, generous, a very personal... Very um, powerful and offer, yes. Considering the brutality of European civilization, a very um, gracious and... Oh, very generous-spirited. Very generous-spirited. Yeah, and open-hearted. And it is 
very much a statement from the heart, Geoffrey. And that was the potency of that statement in that it came in a spirit of generosity. 60 years ago, well, after we first counted Indigenous persons, 60 years ago, we have been watching that because we're that old people that we have been watching what has or hasn't happened for 60 years to First Nations people. And every week, it seems to me, out comes a new and horrendous photograph of what we were doing to First Nations people from the inception of white settlement in this country. Well, a truth-telling aspect is important, like happened uh, post-apartheid in South Africa. Indeed. The the atrocities and crimes that were committed are acknowledged and apology sought um, and an attempt to heal is crucial. And that's one of the disappointments as an Australian is that despite the, um, you know, less than stellar um, history and the fact that a lot of these um, abuses have led to intergenerational trauma Mm. and a whole lot of other, you know, very difficult to resolve, um, yeah, generational issues, we still haven't had an overall willingness to be taking that issue on up front. No, and and the understanding of Makarata is a real generosity of spirit from First Nations people to us of the white race. I mean, I am now Indigenous, but I am not by any means First Nations. I was born in Australia, but I, I also acknowledge that, you know... I'm only 70, Geoffrey, 60,000 years. There's nothing to be sneezed at in terms of population of this big continent. Yeah. Well, it's not a bad effort to survive that long. Um, Despite in an arid, efforts to the contrary. <laughs> an arid, dry, you know, resource poor, um, vast country. Indeed. And there's a lot of knowledge that we could actually be gleaning from First Nations people if we only had the uh, intelligence to um, be humble and ask for it. Well, the, um, I have. I think I've told you this a few times that the Australian Army sent um, one of their number up to the Northern Territory to investigate Indigenous uses of plants and animals and um, health-giving benefits of flora and fauna that were, you know, have been in Australia for all these many mm. years, um, and but have only just recently been acknowledged. And the army got a lot of information on that and wrote a report that they have not released to the general public or even acknowledged that the Indigenous or First Nations people had all those health-giving benefits from plants in particular uh, in the Northern Territory because that was where they thought the next invasion was going to come from, from the Northern Territory or north of Australia. So implying that our neighbours in Asia... We're going to pour into Australia. Well, because well, the Japanese, Japanese bombed did. Darwin. They yeah. did bomb down. But so did Tracy, Cyclone Tracy. <laughs> yeah. That was Cyclone brutal. Tracy was probably more devastating than the Japanese were. One thing I'm very pleased is that this weekend actually saw the first positive um, 
uh, community events to actually uh, promote the re- yes campaign for the referendum. Like up till now, it's been all been uh, parliamentary before the vote, yeah, and it's been rather and the opposition yeah. mixing the water by saying it's going to have a Muddy, third parliament yes. and it's going to do this and have power and they're going to take everything and you know very um, disingenuous and what I'd call well, it's BS, Jeffrey. It's just you know I think it's another another example of the rubbish that can be circulated because we are allowed to say what we think in Australia, yeah? Even if what we think is bullshit. Well, to say that the Yes campaign being passed would re-racialise Australia, I just, you know, uh, I mean, some of the comments really uh, are disingenuous and, you know, there's actually very little in the Yes. I think you're being very generous about it, Geoffrey. I just think people are lying because they can get away with it. Oh, that's probably true yeah. too. Yeah. We've spent like the last 10 years, except for the last 12 months, the last 10 years has been spent not telling us anything. And suddenly, you know, the opposition has a voice that they prepared, that, you know, they can be heard about. They're quite welcome to say their point of view. But there's something wrong with saying stuff that is quite clearly rubbish. And a lot of it was delayed to sort of stretch out the time. Will, will, he support, will the coalition support? I mean, National yeah, Party came out early. to think about the opposition well, to a voice, haven't they? They were in government. When the, when the consultation for the statement from the heart was set up, they were in power. That's right. And when they didn't... Well, in fact, it was Malcolm um, Turnbull. That I think received the chartered them and said, yeah. wasn't he the man that actually chartered them, chartered Indigenous people to say? I think so. Set it up, get, any, get a document, give us something that we can go with. And then it was left to flounder. Yeah, the document came through, the willingness came through, the people came through, Indigenous nations came through because it is plural. They came through, they did the work. And managed to agree upon it. That's not an easy thing to do, Geoffrey, to get 150-odd nations nations. and people to agree upon a document. But it was left to flounder. It wasn't acted on. It's going to take a lot of community consultation and explanation and um, clarifying the lies and the misconceptions so that people realise this is... It's really a symbolic act... Yes. It's hard to change the constitution, but this particular referendum is not giving extra powers to First Nations. It's not giving them a veto over Parliament. It's not a third chamber. It's. um, And giving them power over the the, um, Reserve Bank. I mean, just the, the silliness of some of the statements that have been coming out. It's. It's like they haven't even thought about it, the people that are coming with these points well, of view. Well, I think view. it's designed to confuse people and make them concerned and fearful. And that certainly fearful. is happening. Yeah. Um, and one of the great things about Karma as a, a drug and alcohol organisation is that we also have the connection, which is for um, First Nations clients with um, issues they'd like assistance with, whether it's information or referrals or whatever it is, um, that's very, very important because with generations of um, post-traumatic stress disorder and, you know, really it's incalculable, the damage done. Absolutely, and people seek succour 
yeah, in from the drugs that they use, um, and that's quite a, a a legitimate way, I guess, of personally having some kind of agency over your emotional well-being, and that's what drugs and alcohol have done for and to people. It's been damaging, but it has sometimes been personally very... It enables people to feel like they can control what's happening to them. Look, self-medication is as old as humanity itself. Is it not? Yeah. And I would say with the somewhat bleak future on many fronts, uh, climate change being you know, one of them, mm. um, actually finding a way to cope is hardly an unreasonable um, thing for people to want to do. Yep. Um you know, that reason and other reasons as well. There's a lot of things for people to be concerned about. And I would say that, you know, the riots in France, a lot of it stems from institutional racism and not treating Indeed. young uh, immigrants and well. But it also stems from a class approach of the French that this is the way we do things, you people don't count. Yeah, you um, people are new. Yeah. You know, and, in fact, they, they're not. <laughs> They've been in France for a long time. But also the family has said in France, we don't want this violence. Yeah, that's right. We just want acknowledgement that our son was murdered yeah. by somebody from the police. Yeah. And that police officer needs to account or be accounted for. Um, and he was murdered because he attempted to drive away because he was going to be arrested because he was black. Well, it makes you wonder, Marion, the more um, incidents like this that happen, the more anger and rage that builds up and the less people and are inclined. And the expectations of, of Indigenous people or of people who are not white, which is a real problem internationally, what can they do? Do they trust the offer of a Macarata or a voice or, you know, a job even? Yep. Jeffrey, what do we do? Yeah, what I've do noticed, they do? I've noticed a couple of the old uh, colonists like uh, Belgium and Holland, their, their kings have come out and apologised for their victims of their colonial See, activities. and that hardly took any time at all, did it? But what a mess did they make of Africa and they wonder why people from Africa want to move to Europe and when they get there, <laughs> they get told to go home. Well, a few people... Well, we would if we could, but you made a mess of it, really. So we can't live there because we haven't been able to develop culturally and economically because of what you've left us with. You took all the wealth. You, you took, took all the mess. resources. Yep. You left a mess. And they um, still own the wealth, Jeffrey. Yeah. Yeah, they that's still right. own the resources. I didn't hear, hear the word reparation mentioned by any of these... Oh, um, I bet you didn't. Yeah. Uh, heads of you know, royalty. Can I make it just quickly tell people, because we've got a couple of things about drug and alcohol stuff, and I do want to get this in... Well, we do it after for, the news? I was going to play... Well, there's just three... Yeah, one, do the song. One quick song, and then we'll... Um, we've got plenty of time to do that. Okay. I thought we, we haven't played the old classic Velvet Underground, I'm waiting for the man for a while, so I'd love to hear that. So okay. Velvet Underground. Have I'm waiting for my man. 
All right, welcome back to uh, 2XX, 98.3 FM, and this is news from the drug war front, brought to you by Karma, the Canberra Alliance for Harm Minimisation and Advocacy. And uh, I just want to mention that news from the drug war front reports on news stories that are relevant to illicit drug users from Australia and also around from around the world. Many of the articles that we feature in this program come from other sources, including mainstream media, and as such, the contents of news from the Drug War Front's uh, broadcast slash podcast may not necessarily reflect the views and or policies of Karma and the Connection. Karma and the Connection focus on harm harm reduction messages, drug treatment support services, advocacy and community development. We seek to reduce the harms associated with drug use and its criminalisation through the provision of programs that foster community development and, it, and the delivery of person-centred holistic healthcare. Karma exists to promote the health and human rights of people who use drugs. And just to give you a quick um, range of the sort of services that Karma and the Connection provide, which have um, extended uh, in recent years, um, to include quite a number of uh, services that we didn't have in the past. Uh, We've got peer treatment support, which is um, helping um, drug users with whatever issue that they require assistance with, whether it's advice on a particular drug or um, referral to rehab, advocacy, um, uh, just a chat, uh, pick up a lunch. Um, There's a lot of things that uh, Karma can support you with education, art therapy, support groups, mentoring uh, and referrals and we're essentially uh, harm reduction services which is uh, one of the tenets of uh, federal um, uh, government policy uh, even though it only accrues around about 2% of the overall funding. But um, I've sort of been thinking about it and I mentioned this last week as well that we should be um, very um, pleased to actually have uh, some funded peer-based drug user organisations here in the ACT, Victoria, um, South Australia, um, WA, Queensland, because a lot of countries don't have any at all, which includes the UK, which a lot of people would find very, very um, surprising, uh, given the past um, um, experience that they had with um, heroin-assisted treatment and um, various other programs. But... Uh, Karma's doing its best to have uh, a voice and a seat at the table of all sorts of um, positive changes like the decriminalisation of um, certain drugs, which comes into effect in October, which is really important. Um, The development of the drug testing service, CanTest. The drug checking, yep. Do we have have the results for the We have the the results from the ninth. Yeah, which is we really certainly important. do. And I really hope that the hours are extended um, and that Queensland also uh, kick on and develop their drug testing Indeed, program. that's really important. Look, uh, they, they have suggested that that's what they're going to do and we assume that they will come through with it. Well, the only argument you need, Marion, is does any other consumer um, take the, take some, you know, put something in their body without actually knowing what is in it? And that's, well, it, one of the major arguments, Jeffrey, has been for the legi- legitimising of the drugs that are currently illegal is that quality, quantity, purity and price are indeterminable unless you have a drug checking service. And we've only just introduced this program. Which we're is- up to its, we're actually up to its 10th or 11th month, really, but... 
From the ninth month, yes, they had 881 samples tested to the 20th of April. Um, this is the last re lot of results that I've got. Um, staff provide 121 health and AOD brief alcohol and other drug interventions and 15 out of 92 samples were voluntarily discarded by people after they received their results. Cocaine was expected in nine, in 10 samples and detected in nine, which is surprising because, I've, as I've said before, I haven't seen an awful lot of cocaine in the community or Back in the there. day, it was a, a very rare... Um... Indeed, but it seems to be the major... Um, drug that's being detected in interventions Well, I think the cartels days, yeah. have um, changed their business model and thought we'll uh, include Australia. They Indeed, it's dollar. a big place with a big... Um, we could not join hands and surround the country as a population. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, we should probably have, for some time, been connecting with First Nations people because they know the country and they know the coast. Mm. Um, and what would be the most appropriate places to land large amounts of drugs or other stuff that would be otherwise illicitly imported. Well, as long as a lot of money to be made, they will People be. will be doing yep. it. That's right. Heroin, still with the Cantess, heroin was expected in five samples. It's interesting that not much heroin's being brought in for drug checking, and I think that's a fairly... Reasonable assumption. It's pretty expensive these days. So. And I think a lot of it stems from the original language, which was pill testing. Yes. During the trials at Groove and the Moo and um, another festival. Um, it is actually drug checking, not pill testing. So it's all drugs. We're not. Yeah. It, look, even you're over the count of the drugs that you get prescribed. Um, I've always been concerned that some of the. Uh, generic brands that are not manufactured by the original, with through the original patent holders, yes, that they might be somewhat less than the con contents than they are saying they are. Not like, the only one to worry. Yeah, but benzodiazepines, for instance, yes, have had a very popular, um, profitable marketing. Uh, strategy, if you like, from the original, from Roche, the original producers of, or <laughs> Big Pharma, if you like, from the original producers. And when the patent ran out and the generic brands came through, there seemed to be some change in the strength. I think a lot of potency. that's psychosomatic, but they would. That might be true. Who? But who can trust? Who can trust? We can't trust the illicit drugs, obviously. Well, it, but can we trust the legal ones? You couldn't a hundred percent swear on a Bible to um, accept it as uh, given. A given, but um, I'm pretty sure it's just a question of um, money. The generics are cheaper, and you know, once the patent went off, there was opportunity for other companies to come out with. And they did. And they did, yeah. In, her, in her herds and droves. But, but look, you, you should have a right as a consumer to know what is in anything that you purchase to put in your body. And yet what have they done to tobacco? Well, totally. You, nothing on the packet, on, the, on tobacco packets, nowhere is there a ha – this is how much nicotine's in it. This is how much other substances are in it because – 
You're not allowed to advertise it, which means we're not allowed to know what's in tobacco. And there's hundreds, if not a thousand or extra chemicals in Tailor-Made. In tailor in particular. And also there's a big black market that has, wow, in the last 15 years, boomed Hmm. um, because people are growing their own tobacco at home. And that's what is going to happen. The more you stamp on something, the more profitable profitable it becomes to produce it yourself. Yeah. So or the cost it's less expensive it is. Too high, people will get, find ways to... That's right. Yeah. And it's one of the hardest um, addictions oh, to okay. give no, up, Jeffrey. No question about that. <laughs> struggle by struggle. Um, yeah, anyway, look, so... Did- look, can test is crucial. We support it completely. I'd like to see the hours extended and... Um, Indeed. ..a bit more promotion of it, which would be nice. And it's- on the basis of that, I'll just tell you that it's still open from 10am to 1pm on Thursdays and 6pm to 9pm on Friday evenings. It's at the City Community Health Centre, 1 Moore Street, Canberra City. And... Not only is it a comfortable place to go to, there will also be a peer that is someone who has walked in your shoes to a certain extent, not in exactly the same way, but certainly taken drugs that and know what the effect should be. Someone you can talk to on your level about what to do about your drug use or about the drugs that you are about to use and what you can do to help yourself and stay safe and stay alive and well and despite your drug consumption. That should be the number one priority of any politician. And I wonder what's happening in New South Wales with the change of government. I haven't heard any announcements of, um, uh, you know, drug testing facilities or no. cutting back on the sniffer dog campaign. No. Um and we have huge uh, problems, in fact. I, I think New South Wales just discovered that they've got, a, you know, $52 billion budget deficit or something. You know, something, I don't know what the numbers are and I don't really need to know. I just know that they've come up. Left a nasty surprise. They've been discovered a nasty hole in the budget that they weren't expected. Mm. Um, and uh, they're still working with the uh, ACCC. They're still coming up with their reports on um, people misbehaving under the last government, obviously, and bureaucrats as well, so that there is a certain amount of questionable behaviour to be answered for. Well, the former Premier was found to be uh, corrupt, according She's to... She's not going to be charged, from what yeah. I heard, but her they're, they're putting boyfriend, it all on her boyfriend may well be. Yeah, that's true. Oh, look, just, just to quickly sum up... Um, the range of services. Um, if anyone thinks they may have Hep C, there's pinprick testing. Um, every- That's blood checking, blood yep. testing. Yep. Uh, it's much easier now. Don't have to find a vein. That's or, right. Uh, anything. It's just a pinprick. But if you do want to find a vein, there is the opportunity to do that at Karma too. There is a vein the checking clinic. service. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's true. Um, so that's the Reach, Teach, Treat, Thrive Program, Thrive program. which is good. And really, um, the hepatitis uh, treatments, uh, direct-acting antivirals that came in some years ago have been extraordinary and have helped people cure their liver and cure themselves of And we C. have raved about that, but it's been a legitimately positive rave because it's such a change 
there are no side effects, no unwarranted, unasked for, unlooked for and uncomfortable side effects from those dual medications for the treatment of hep C and what it does is it cures hep C. Yep. doesn't just manage the symptoms, the symptoms and it certainly doesn't provide you with some nasty illness for 12 months while you take those so-called healing drugs. I mean... Which the interferon-based Interferon, based, interferon uh, was a horror show. Some people couldn't finish. Of drug. Yeah. Well, I you know, have friends who just couldn't even take couldn't start the program wow. because it was going to demolish them yeah. until these du- the dual antivirals came direct up. Acting. Direct acting antivirals, yeah. Uh, but until they yeah. were forthcoming, they weren't even going to go on the program. Didn't even want to talk about the potential for liver cancer that Hep C it, it provides. You know, it, it's a frightening disease. Oh, I can remember speaking to dozens if not more people about the new direct acting antivirals and how fantastic they were yep. and just scepticism and suspicion and uh, fear that it couldn't be as good as I'm saying um, because they'd had experience with uh, interferon and liver yes. biopsy and horror story after horror story. Um, it really was an extraordinary medical breakthrough. I mean, uh, Oh, absolutely. And the trialling of the program has been prolonged, if you like, in order to try and get as much in... Well, I mean, I don't know what their basis for prolonging the trial is when it seems to work so well, but I think a good proportion has to be getting the information out to the people that affects. The longer you do research on a population, the more you can educate them on how... and get them to educate their peers on how well these drugs work. Or word of mouth And how the most potent, Geoffrey, the most potent way of getting someone to change their behaviour is to show them a model of what it looks like. And if you can show people how well they can be after they take these drugs. Yeah. It's a really positive thing. And the government's goal is elimination of hepatitis C by 2030. And good luck to them for that one. Look, I wanted, um, I know we mentioned the uh, changes to the Opioid Dependence Treatment Program mm. or OST, OMT, there's many different acronyms, but um, there's a consumer fact sheet which Harm Reduction Australia put out, which I think is very, very um, helpful. And we read that last week, but we need to do it again, I, th- I, I think, think it because it's been confusing for people and there are some dilemmas from the providers, the dispensers or pharmacists, um, one pharmacist will say something and another pharmacist will say something different. So we'll say, we can tell you what we have before us. It's not the first change in um, protocols that have been done uh, at short notice and with confusion. Of course there will be confusion associated with it, yeah. Last uh, big one I remember was the volume expansion uh, of takeaways. Um, Horror show. (laughs) I remember being told it was distilled water until (laughs) Until we saw them filling up the jug from the tap. Tap, Yeah, yeah, Mm. exactly. Anyway, how how is the program changing? Uh, From 1st of July... 2023, um, medications, so methadone, buprenorphine, all the categories and um, versions of it. replacement therapies, yeah. Will be treated the same as other 
schedule 100 prescription medications. And this has been the problem. It's been a battle for over 20 years to not make people on this program different to everyone else yeah. who's getting they just customers a PBS prescription absolutely yeah what what why shouldn't it be available under the PBS scheme yeah yep anyway it's taken a long time but in the last budget the federal government um, righted this wrong this means that if you're dosed to the community pharmacy you'll pay less for your opioid dependence treatment from first of July. If you're dosed at a public clinic, nothing will change and your treatment will continue free of charge. If you're at a private clinic, non-PBS pharmacy, or you get your long-acting buprenorphine injections at a GP surgery, you'll need to speak to your provider directly about how these changes will affect you. I mean, of course there's going to be people that, um, you know, certain questions that don't cover every aspect of a change this big. Of course, it's huge. Okay, so the second bit is how will the changes affect what I pay at the pharmacy is the question. So the the opioid dependence treatment program is shifting from a daily or weekly dispensing fee to a monthly PBS co-payment, just like any other prescription you might get filled at a pharmacy. From the 1st of July 2023, the community pharmacy will no longer charge you daily dosing fees. Instead, the pharmacist will charge you a PBS co-payment once a month for your methadone or buprenorphine, so the tablets, the film or the injection prescription. The PBS co-payment that you will pay is a maximum of $30 for general patients or $7.30 if you have a concession card. And that's for every 28 days. And it also counts towards the safety net. That's which right. in the past it didn't. And that's important to note. The co-payment for each individual prescribed medicine, if you're not pres- if you're prescribed multiple ODT medicines or different strengths of the same medicine, it's important to note, that is, if you get two milligram doses plus an eight milligram, so you're on 10 milligrams of buprenorphine film, you'll need to pay the co-payment for both medicines, both to strengths. To get 10, you need to buy two products. That's right. So you've got to, you have to pay your $7.30 or 30 for both medicines, okay, both strengths, I beg your pardon. The co-payment will also call to, uh, count towards your PBS safety nets. So once you reach the safety net threshold, you receive your eligible medicine at a cheaper price or free of charge for the remainder of the year. The safety net limit is $262.80 for concession card holders and $1,500 or $1,563.50 for general patients. For further information on the PBS program and the safety net, have a look Harm at Harm Reduction Australia's website. Ask your pharmacist to record your ODTP payments, so your opioid dependence treatment payments, on your PBS safety net record. Yeah, look, for all the, uh, the hoo-ha, it really is just bringing that prescription into line medication with other into line with pharmaceutical every- benefit schemes generally. Exactly. Yep. It's that, that's essentially it in a nutshell. Yeah. Who is eligible? Any Australian resident with a current Medicare card is eligible. If you're a concession card holder, you receive further concessions. Which drugs are covered? Methadone, oral liquid, and that would be both the pink and the brown. Buprenorphine sublingual tablets 
and buprenorphine and naloxone sublingual tablets, so Subutex and Suboxone. Or the films, yeah. And also the depot or um, injectable long-acting buprenorphine products, uh, Sublocade and Buvidal are also Yep, and covered with that. Yep. So on the f- do I need to do anything before the 4th of July? Well, it's now the 1st of July. Well, it's now the 4th of July. So you should not be panicking. The short answer is no. You don't need to have done anything unless your prescription is due for renewal. Your existing script remains valid or you won't need to get a new PBS prescription by the 1st of July. When your current script expires at your next review your doctor will write you a pbs prescription if you're on the oddp and need further information or help with specific concerns in relation to the reforms please reach out to one of the able member organizations so to karma basically locally or even Get it clarified by your pharmacist or by your doctor because what they do will be dependent upon how they have interpreted what they have been told. Um, You can get information from the Harm Reduction Australia Network, from their website, print out the piece of paper or get the information from Karma. Have that piece of paper with you when you go to your pharmacist or to your prescriber, to your doctor. Yeah, there's a fact sheet from the Australian Government Department of Health and Aged Care which essentially says the same things but in a bit more bureaucratic language. And and it depends on who you... I mean, it shouldn't depend on who you trust. Unfortunately, until the confusion subsides, there will be a variety of approaches to this, but you need to clarify it with your prescriber and your dispenser. Well, that's your doctor and your pharmacist. Sadly, it's sort of no surprise that a major change has led to confusion. Um, I think a bit more time would have been helpful and a bit more clarity uh, with a bit more time to make sure that people were. It's like pulling off a band aid. If you do it quickly, it doesn't hurt as much yeah. in a lot of ways, but, I suspect. But <laughs> o- overall, it might have taken a long time, but it's... It's it, come. It's arrived. And it's the influence of uh, organisations like AVIL and Karma and all the member organisations that have plugged away saying this is stigma and discrimination against a particular... Group of people that is drug users, injecting yeah. heroin users, opioid users. That are using the approved medication yep. that the state says, here's you what can, you should you take. You may take this as a substitute for your illicit drug yeah. because it'll keep you healthy, off the streets, out of the black market. Able to work, able, able to, to function. Able to work, able to collab- cooperate, be yep. a good citizen otherwise, as if we aren't anyway or don't want to be. It's not just for want of opioid replacement therapies, but it is important to note. Well, imagine how much better, um, you know, people that have uh, an opioid dependency or have used or have a habit or whatever would be if there was a heroin-assisted tre- treatment program or something that was tailor-made for older users so they could okay. function and not have to come up with the money to, you know function in the black market and uh, well the, yes the 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 cost of the black market and the impact that that has on social behavior or antisocial behavior like 
has long been an issue, long yeah. been a problem. All right, let's play a song. This is um, Get the Girl Straight. Uh, <laughs> it's a long band, the Powder Monkeys.
All right, it's 28 minutes to midday. You're listening to News from the Drug War Front uh, with Jeff and Marion in Studio One of 2XFM, People Powered Radio. Indeed, it was. I'll just give you a couple of bits of information. Um, four days coming, the Pat Van will be closed due to staff shortages. So, Friday the 7th, it won't be at Veterans Park. Tuesday the 11th, that's next Tuesday. It won't be open at Canangra Court. And Wednesday next week, it won't be um, at Oaks Estate, the depot only, the time to be confirmed. Um, the other thing is today is the first Tuesday of the month and therefore there will be an opioid reversal pro- or an naloxone um, administration program. Ring 6253 3643 uh, and speak to Damo or Dave mm-hmm. about getting onto the uh, training program this afternoon at the uh, early morning centre on Northbourne Avenue. Indeed. So Highly recommended. Um, I've got an article which um, my colleague Mitch sent, which I thought was interesting. It's an opinion piece by Lisa Lafferty, Mary Ellen Harrod, Liz Barrett and Alison Ritter posted yesterday. We can reduce drug-related harm to those in prison, so why the inequity of healthcare? There is an erroneous belief that people who are incarcerated don't inject drugs in prison. Hmm. In fact, people who inject drugs in the community are just as likely to inject in prison with some people turning to drug use in prison as a way to cope with the passage of time or to cope with their surroundings. Mm. The movie myth that getting dope in prison is easier than on the outside is sometimes true, depending, of course, on the prison. While access to drugs may be relatively easy, access to sterile equipment is close to impossible. Yeah, I remember going out um, with Nicole to the AMC and doing a training course before we were allowed to go in and do naloxone training and being shown various cut-downs and homemade and ones. And how people made homemade injecting equipment. Oh, yeah. it made me ill. Well, there are some people who actually have an open vein all the time, Jeff. Really? Mm. Wow. It's a, and it's a matter of if you can find a place, how do you maintain an open vein all the time? So you can imagine how... <sighs> how welcome something like clan injecting equipment would be in a situation like that. Well, not for want of trying. Katie Gallagher tried. She did. But um, while access to drugs may be relatively easy, access to sterile equipment is close to impossible. Mm. When people do inject drugs in prison, they are often sharing needles and other paraphernalia, which results in abscesses and many other skin infections. And the introduction of straight into the bloodstream of in- in STIs oh, all sorts or whatever. Of, yeah, yeah blood infections. infections, yep. And it's got in uh, brackets, remember, Darren Aronofsky's 2000 film Requiem for a Dream, which actually is pretty harrowing. I don't know if you've seen it. No, but, I haven't. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not easy viewing. Um, along with exposure to bloodborne viruses such as hepatitis C. Across Australia, people living in the community have access to 4,159 needle and syringe programs where they can access sterile equipment. Among the 115 prisons across the country, there are zero needle and syringe programs available to people who are incarcerated. And Still zero. Still. Despite the known rates of injecting drug use in prisons in Australia, 
and the health risks associated with injecting related harms, our nation has done little to protect the veins and health of people who use drugs whilst incarcerated. This is in direct conflict with the Nelson Mandela rules, which stipulate that people in prison, quote, should enjoy the same standards of health care that are available in the community. And it's hard to... Look, I wonder if the word enjoy is what made people fall back and say, no, 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 because the fact that people enjoy something is not connected with prison inmates. Do do you Mm. see what I mean? And we've said many times that the use of particular language is very... um, It colours your approach to any service provision. And if you say enjoying a standard of healthcare, does that imply that getting health is enjoyable, just your access to health is enjoyable. No, it's a human right. So I think just the language may have frightened people from that, Jeff. Yeah. And that's just that's just my opinion anyway. Yeah, well, look, I, I can't argue with this um, opinion piece at all. It's They're meant to have... You're not, you're not meant to have the burden, um, your life put at risk. Simply because you're in prison. Yeah, hmm. no. It's like punishment on punishment. Punishment... The punishment in going to prison is that you are separated from your family yeah. and agency over your own life. You lose your freedom for that period. Absolutely. That's the punishment. You don't, you're not, there should be no obligation for corrections officers to provide extra punishment because they don't think you're getting punished enough by being separated from your family and friends and the community at large. Mm-hmm. There's, it, that's a horrendous um Assumption. Yeah, look, the, the piece um, goes on. It's on um, the abc.net.au uh, website if you want to read uh, the rest where it goes on about um, the absence of harm reduction measures and uh, a proposal for drug-related harm reduction in prison, which is well worth looking at. It's um, It requires uh, corrections officers to have the um, willingness to actually open their eyes and take the evidence on, you know, as accurate and... Two hands, Geoffrey, and with one hand they complain about being attacked with weapons, yes, like That's needles, always the which may well give them HIV or hepatitis C, and on the other hand they have a union that says, no, we're not going to have needle and syringe exchange programs in prisons because it puts our, our, uh, our members in danger. Well, I'm sorry, you can't have it both ways. And there are prisons... Uh, Overseas. In the that, world, yeah, yes, yeah. that do needle and syringe it's not totally unheard program. Of. It's no. not unheard of. And it is a matter of organising the process so that it's acceptable and accessible to those people that need it. It's an issue in itself, isn't it? Um, We've got a good piece. This actually came out just before the um, Harm Reduction, Reduction International in, Conference in Melbourne by in Sione. Melbourne. And this is from Sione, who used to be the um, executive officer of Karma. Um and is now working with Harm Reduction Victoria. Um, this is a, from their special edition of WAC, which is their... Um, user magazine. User magazine. Harm Reduction Victoria is proud to be the local partner for the 27th Harm Reduction International Conference here in Melbourne 2023. So this was in April. And this is introduction to um, Harm Reduction Victoria. We're a peer-based organisation of people who use drugs and it was formed in 1987 as part of a broader affected community response to the HIV crisis. At that time, 
their focus was on people who inject drugs in particular and, as we all know, there was no effective medication or medical treatment for HIV. There still isn't a curative program, but there is a, uh, a mitigating program, if you like, provides drugs to reduce the impact of HIV, but HIV still cannot be cured. Um, harm reduction and bloodborne virus prevention education and organisations of peers like Harm Reduction Victoria, then VivAIDS, were crucial to engage our communities, that is, injectors, to deliver peer education around safer injecting practices and self-care and to ultimately ensure HIV rates remain low amongst people who inject drugs in Victoria. Peer work's very important to us or to users and for many years organisations peer-based drug user organisations were the only places a person who currently uses illicit drugs and who were embedded in communities of people who use drugs could work and be open about their illicit drug use. This has always had advantages and disadvantages. We know how fortunate we are to have an organisation and work those values rather than stigmatise our experience, which we talk about every week. We can be who we are in our workplace and we can work with our community on things that are important to us and on the other hand being known in the sector and sometimes the media as an illicit drug user can lead to difficulty finding other work the loss of friends and family and a tricky balance of being valued for something that's still illegal and can endanger the workplace over the years Harm Reduction Victoria, while never perfect, has striven to be place, a, a place of safety for our peers who work with them and to be supportive as well. I suppose that what I'm saying to Sione is that it isn't simple to be a living, experienced peer worker and nor is it simple to be an organisation of living, experienced peer workers. But when peer education and uh, engagement works, it's one of the most powerful, empowering and exciting forces for change that there is. Oh, no question about it. That's Absolutely. What, that's, that's we why say so that important. every week, don't we, Jeffrey? Yeah, I've been engaged in a debate with um, a couple of uh, peer workers in the UK who are saying they're basically sick of providing peer information and attending workshops and, you know, giving their experience for free, you yes. know, for nothing. Yeah. No, it's like their information is not valuable or... Their life experience is not valuable and yet they rely on peers to stop other people or their colleagues to stop them from transmitting blood-borne viruses to the wider community. They don't value injectors as such except as vehicles for children or families who are straight to get blood-borne viruses. Yeah, it's... it's Quite extraordinary it's, how bad backward things have gone. It's really wrong. Yeah. Uh, the peer workforce outside of bloodborne virus work across mental health, uh, carer and drug treatment and recovery and harm reduction has grown over the years as this fundamental truth has become clear. Slowly, funded programs outside peer organisations has increased and this is the case for our harm reduction peer work as well. Yeah, harm, harm reduction Victoria has similarly uh, grown in services and range of... Um, uh, you know things that they offer, and a lot. Uh, look, I think Margaret Hamilton has to be acknowledged as being one of she legitimised, I guess, harm reduction Victoria in a lot of ways. That and because she was a non-peer but a prescriber, 
yes? Yeah. So she provided a face of an intelligent, articulate drug colleague, not a user, but a colleague who appreciated the value of illicit drug users and their importance in, in educating and it's the supporters wider community. that are crucial to trying to, you know, bring about real change. Real change. Yeah. And then we had Fiona Patton, you know, from the Reason yep. Party. And, you know, so there'd been people who don't say they use drugs but who have provided information from drug users themselves that has educated the broader community on the value of employing peer workers because, like with men who have sex with men, the most potent form of a doctor teaching another doctor. Mm. You value the information you get from somebody who is in the par- same level as you are in terms of power structure. Sorry, yep. Jeffrey. That's okay. with your... Sione goes on to say, slowly, funded programs outside peer organisations has increased, and this is the case for our harm reduction peer work as well. Mm. There are a small number of people working in harm reduction identified current peer positions in Victoria outside of, outside of the good thing. We are also very clear that care is needed. As long as illicit drug use itself remains illegal, it is not possible for any workplace to offer a current, living, experienced peer worker a completely safe workplace. Absolutely. That's a very interesting point, isn't it? You know, because you're still dealing with substances that are... That are illicit and, illicit and illegal and illegally obtained. Yep. Yeah. Here in Victoria, the Department of Health has supported us in building systems and processes that we hope will help to make things safer for our peers who work in more mainstream organisations. This special edition of WAC, put together for the International Harm Reduction Conference in Melbourne, is our way of celebrating our amazing harm reduction peer workforce, whether in identified positions or in positions where they cannot openly use their living experience or in leadership and management or in volunteer roles. Mm. Really, we are all doing the same thing, using our personal up-to-date experience and knowledge of a criminalised marketplace and of the communities who thrive and survive around this marketplace to deliver or improve services and to improve or change policies that affect us. WAC has reached out to peer workers who use drugs all over the world and in our own back garden. Giving um, HRPWs a platform... Um, harm reduction. Yeah, I've been peer <laughs> sure workers. That acronym is. H- harm reduction peer workers. Ah, I um, a platform to speak and let us know and you know what they do and why they do it. Harm reduction is so central to our work and our lives that releasing this issue to coincide with the conference and ensuring that every attendee gets a copy is a no brainer. We're proud to be associated with the conference, but more than that, are proud to be associated with the people in this issue and with every um, other peer worker or volunteer out there who didn't have the time to respond. And we want to thank you for helping make harm reduction the success that That it is. is, And there's contributions from um, people all over uh, Australia, from New Zealand, South Africa, Ireland, Spain. Um, You know, it's it's really... um, The international network of people who use drugs also has networks... That through which probably Sione would have been acquiring information. But once a year, harm reduction workers, peer workers, harm reduction peer workers like those at 
uh, Harm Reduction Victoria or at Karma, which is also another peer organisation, only once a year can they actually celebrate their... And I literally mean celebrate because without Harm Reduction Victoria or Karma or New South Wales User and AIDS Association, the important issue is that they are keeping people alive and well until they until they can be acknowledged as human beings or as part of the community and that but they need to be alive to do that and without things like drug checking or um, services or naloxone programs such as karma provides or safe injecting rooms which we haven't got in the ACT as yet but I would think it would be under discussion at any time of the year. Without those services, we can't keep people alive, yep. no matter how hard we try. And it's a very tough gig, um, oh, given yeah. the decades of, um, you know, the UN conventions and And, and where do you go? The, I think the question's valid. As a drug user, what's your career path? Mm. Yeah? Once you get to executive officer of a harm reduction organisation or a peer education organisation like HRV or Karma, where do you go after that? Yeah, mm. There's, there, there is no career path where you can say, I'm a drug user. These, um, these are my shoes, walk in them. There needs to be much Good luck more with that. recognition of the value. Acknowledgement yeah. of that value, absolutely. Yep. Okay, play a quick song before I get to the end. This is uh, JJ Kale and uh, Cocaine. Great.
All right, it's uh, coming into the home straight, uh, seven minutes to noon uh, in this week's edition of News from the Drug War Front, brought to you by Karma, mm. the Canberra Alliance for Home Minimisation and Advocacy. And Which is located at the Belt Conan Churches Centre, Shop 17, Level 1, Benjamin Way in Belconnen. The drop-in hours are 10am to 4pm, Monday to Friday. Contact can be made on the landline phone 6253 3643 or by emailing karma at this info at karma.org.au. Karma can assist you with a wide range of issues, including advice and advocacy around opioid maintenance treatment, accessing and being paid to treat your hepatitis C through the Reach, Teach, Treat, Thrive program, helping people to cope with the uh, and overcome the impact of stigma and discrimination, which, in fact, this issue, this uh, week's has program has been largely about stigma and discrimination. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the extent to which we need to overcome it, and how you can't overcome it, even when your valuable life experience is telling the rest of the community what drug users are doing and how we can interfere or intervene between disease and its transmission. And that's what peer educators are doing every day. Well, every minute of every day of every week of every month of every year. Peer educators are really valuable and need to be valued as such. Mm. Not just called junkies and left. No. They need a career path. They need to be valued. And their information needs to be valued too. Absolutely. And don't forget to call Karma if you are still having any uh, confusion about the changes to Particu- the, yes, uh, the pharmac- opioid, pharmacotherapy yeah. program. Um, it should be straightened out by now. Um, and it certainly needs to be straightened out by the 27th of July because that's their time frame for having had things settled, yes? You should have a new prescription or should have an understanding of what, ha- where you are up to in your um, opioid maintenance or opioid replacement therapy program. Uh, the 27th of July, I think, is the date that they said on the program that it should all be settled by. So we'll cross our fingers and hope that's true. But Karma can still tell you what's happening. Six two five three three six four three. If you have an existing script um, that goes beyond the first of July, you don't have to get a replacement one because no. um, that that was some of the misinformation that a lot of people Again, were being given. Ask your prescriber and your dispenser. So yeah. ask your doctor and your pharmacist. Clarify with them what they think's going on, because. While you may know what you think's going on and we may know what we think's going on, it's more important that those people who have the drugs know what's going on. And, look, overall, it's a most welcome reform. Um, it's sort of surprising that it came out of last budget, a um, little bit unexpected. Well, it was very surprising, which is why everyone's a little bit confused about yeah. it because it was so quickly implemented. That- could have been yeah. done a little bit better, but you know, that's process is always an issue. Small, yeah. small complaints. The overall, um, yeah, changes are great. Okay, we'll leave you with the theme song, which is uh, Golden the Stranglers, Brown. Golden Brown. And we love you, and thanks, thanks for listening and for tolerating us this week. We kind of pulled it out of our ears today, but we're always issues. happy to be with you yeah. every week. So <laughs> the str- look after yourself. Stay safe. We love you. Talk to you next week. Here's the strang- Bye, Jeffy. The Stranglers. Bye for now.
Pasture like sun Lays me down With my mind she runs Throughout the night No need to fight Never a frown With golden brown Every time Just like the last On her ship Tied to the mast Two distant lands Takes both my hands Never a frown with golden brown Golden brown, fine attemptress She's heading west From far away Stays for a day Never a frown 